Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that Connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. When everybody uh, take their Bibles, okay? Let me see it. Put them up in the air, even if it's a smartphone. Put it, put it up in the air. Come on, come on. Let me see the word. Let me see the swords, okay? I want you to know that that book you're holding is, um, it's literally a miraculous book. The fact that you're holding it is a miracle. The fact that God had it preserved throughout all of the centuries, that we would have an accurate rendering of his word is a miracle. It's a miracle. The Bible opens up with a miraculous statement. In the beginning, God created. Wow. Miracle. Chapter one ends with God breathing into some dirt and bringing human life to bear. That's all you are, it's just dirt. And you're alive because of a miracle of God. Literally all through the 39 books of the Old Testament, you see miracle after miracle after miracle. You get to the New Testament, and it opens up with an incredible miracle that the second person of the Holy Trinity would become a human being and be born in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. And all through the 27 books of the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you see miracle after miracle after miracle. Then you see Jesus, hanging on a cross, voluntarily dying a horrific death for you. <laughs> Miracle. Three days later, he walks out of that tomb, bringing life to whoever would believe in him. <laughs> Miracle. But the greatest miracle, without a doubt, is when God begins to draw a lost sinner to himself. And he begins to open up the eyes of somebody who's blind. He begins to give that lost, blind sinner some understanding. 
And the fact that God would give you the ability to humble yourself, to deny yourself, and to take up your cross and to follow him is the greatest miracle of all. That you went from being a lost sinner headed for a Christless eternity to being a part of God's family, adopted into his family. This is not some ordinary book. There's no book like this book. No book like this book. You ought to be honored to have one in here today. And if you don't own a Bible, you can go into the altar room when we're done and you can pick one up. We'll give one to you for free. Last night, Pastor Joel was telling us the story about a lady who's been here like three or four times, been a part of our family. And finally, God gave her the courage to go into the altar room last night and introduce herself and say, I, I, I'd like a, a Bible. So here at Big Valley, if you're visiting with us, and by the way, welcome to you, and if you're watching online, welcome to all of you that are, that are joining us. We're in a series that we've called Wisdom for Life. And what we're doing is we're either, um, we're, we're, we're looking at maybe a verse in Proverbs, maybe an entire chapter in Proverbs, or a theme like we're going to look at today in the book of Proverbs. Today we're gonna to look at what God has to say about our temper or our anger. And I want you to know the God who revealed himself between these two leather-bound covers has a lot to say about anger, about temper, a lot. It's unbelievable how much information God has given us on that topic. And there's a reason why God has given us so much information on that topic. Because he's well aware of all of our condition. We're all fallen. We all have what is called a sinful nature, an old nature. The big theological word would be we all have an Adamic nature. And because of that, wow, we, we needed a lot of teaching on the subject of anger or temper. Let me, let me give you what I think is a good definition of, of wisdom. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. And you ought to write that down in your Bible somewhere. Wisdom is seeing but not just seeing, but also responding to life from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. And as I said, we have a huge problem, right? Our, our sinful nature, our Adamic nature, and because of uh, that problem, we, uh, we, we tend to see life through our Adamic nature. We tend to see life through our old nature. 
which isn't good because then that leads us to respond to life through our Adamic nature or through our sinful nature. Proverbs chapter 14 says this, and by the way, it's, it's kind of my theme verse for this whole Choose Wisely conference. This was birthed, this conference was birthed in my mind because of this passage right here from God. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to a woman. There's a way that seems right to us as human beings, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, there are these choices that we make in life that come. It could be in our personal lives. It, it could be in our marriage life. It could be in our family life. It could be in our businesses or whatever it might be. And they seem right. They seem logical, at least from our Adamic nature's viewpoint. And so we take a bite at it, but in the end, it just leads to death. In the end, it wasn't the right decision. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter five. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. You see, it's possible as believers to be deceived. And how are we deceived? Through empty words. Now they sound good, they sound logical. They sound like, well that's a no brainer, I gotta do that. But once again, God is telling us, no, don't be deceived. That may sound good to your sinful nature, that may sound good to the old nature, that may sound good to the Adamic nature, but you're just being deceived. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, watch out that no one deceives you. We, we, we see this over and over again where God is telling his people, look, be careful, watch out, don't be deceived. There's all kinds of things out there, wisdom out there, wisdom from Hollywood, wisdom from the record industry, wisdom from your professors in college, wisdom maybe from your own parents. There's all kinds of wisdom out there, wisdom on your social media platforms. There's all kinds of wisdom out there, and some of it, you may think, wow, that makes sense. But in all actuality, you're just being deceived because you're seeing it through the lens of your Adamic nature, your sinful nature, the old man, whatever word you wanna put on it, that we're all stuck with this side of glory, all, even though you know the Lord. You see, one of the things that God does is he calls his people to some really weird stuff. In fact, right out of the gate, somebody asked him, hey, what do I have to do to follow you? Great question. And he leads with what's most important. Jesus said, you wanna follow me? Here's the deal. Deny yourself. That's what he leads with. I don't think the American church leads with that most of the time. He said, you gotta deny yourself, then you have to take up your cross. Eee, what does that mean? Let me put it in a modern day context. You gotta take up your gas chamber. You gotta take up the electric chair. You gotta be willing to die. 
You're going to deny you. You're going to take up your cross, be willing to die, and then welcome to the club. Most churches in America don't lead with that. We kind of tuck that away somewhere, and you know, somewhere it may come up in a text, and then we'll tell you about that part. Not Jesus. He's right up front with it. Want to follow me? Great. Here's what's gonna. Here's what it takes. Got to deny you. Me? I love me. I know. Deny it. Deny you. And when you deny you, what he's saying is, this is what matters. And like I said, man, God, God calls his people, man, to some stuff that just doesn't seem logical at times. Doesn't seem, that's, that's weird. That's why in Proverbs it says, hey, you know, there are ways that seem right. It seems like this makes sense. And God's going, no, 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 no. No, that's gonna, that's gonna lead to a crummy, crummy place. So it's kind of our goal as, uh, as the teaching team that as we go through this series that you'll really get a grip on wisdom, seeing life the way God sees it so that you won't be easily deceived or captured by some empty philosophy or whatever. Now, as I said, we're gonna look at temper, anger. And I want you to know I don't know how many times I wanted to call Joel up and go, hey, Joel, listen, man, I, li I like to change the topic. <laughs> Is there another topic we can look at? <sighs> you know, when we preach, don't, don't ever think we have it all worked out. If you had to have it all worked out to preach, there'd be no preachers. There just wouldn't be. There's a lot of times when we study and we go, wow, man, yeah, yeah, I got some work to do here. I'm sure I'm, then, you know, I, I'm looking at you, I'm thinking, man, I know you, I know all of you, basically. You won't have any troubles with this, guarantee it. I had troubles with it. I did. Proverbs 25 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. One version says, if you cannot control your anger, you're as helpless as a city without walls open to attack. I uh, read some interesting statistics this week. They're all kind of all over the board, but I'm gonna share some of them with you. According to researchers, the average man loses his temper about six times a week as opposed to the average woman who loses her temper only three times a week. Now, look, don't, I don't want to see any elbows being thrown. This is not a, in an MMA match here. This is just, you know, just giving you some statistics here. Women tend to get more angry at people. Men tend to get more angry at things like a flat tire, machines, a dull razor, you know, a computer that doesn't work or whatever. Amen? That's me. Man, I, I can go ballistic when my phone doesn't work. 
I was trying to print this out yesterday at my house. So I went, you know, print. Somehow it bounces off seven satellite dishes. I don't know how, I don't know how it works, and it ends up at our printer. And it wasn't working. I wish I wasn't preaching on this. I gotta actually live some of this out right now. Single adults express anger twice as often as married adults. Just saying. Women uh, or men are more physical with their anger than women. Home is where we're most likely to express our anger. And last but not least, our anger is most frequent and most intense towards those we love, not towards strangers. And that makes sense, right? I mean, nobody ever gets like mad and angry and it's, you get in your car, you drive down to the mall, you know, and you find some perfect stranger. Ah! You don't do that. You, you tend to just blow on those that you love the most, like your spouse or your kids, your parents, whatever it might be. The bottom line is we all get angry at times because anger is a normal human reaction. Jesus got angry, and the Old Testament says at least 375 times that God got angry. In fact, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter four, in your anger, do not sin. And then it goes on and says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. The problem is we have this old nature, this Adamic nature, right? The old man. And so what can often happen is that we get angry and it's a righteous anger, but it can quickly go to a crummy, crummy place. And so God says to us, hey, look, in your anger, you need to be careful because you can cross a line and now you're in sinful territory. I think... One of the things that this verse tells us is that there's a right way and a wrong way to get angry. There's a harmful way and a helpful way. The issue we're going to deal with isn't how to get rid of all your anger because I think that there are some things that God wants us to be angry about. In fact, one of the things that's a little troubling to me about the American church is that we're not angry about the things we ought to be angry about. And there are some things we ought to be angry about. What happens, though, is in the midst of our righteous anger, it can go to a really crummy, sinful place, and that's not good either. So the goal of the message isn't to say, hey, here's how you can get rid of all anger. I don't want you to get rid of all anger. God doesn't want you to get rid of all anger. He just wants you to get angry the right way. And so that's what we'll Deal with. Now, typically, when a person gets angry in a sinful way, they'll express it in a number of ways, maybe one of four. And they're all learned responses, by the way. You learn them from your parents, 
You learn them from TV or from a friend or from your spouse or whoever. And as I go through these, I want you to think about which one best describes you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not your boss. I want you to think about which one best expresses you. And the first one is what I will call the exploder. These people are basically, you know, walking time bombs. They've got hair triggers. They get out of control in a hurry. They're a, they're a powder keg, you know, ready to blow. Then you got the mute. This is the exact opposite of the exploder. This is the silent type. They tend to hold things in. They, they clam up instead of maybe blowing up. They pretend they're not mad. This is the, the crock pot version of anger. There's the stewing that goes inside. You see it in your spouse, or you see it in your kids, or you see it in your parents. You know they're angry. You angry? No. I'm not angry. And you're thinking to yourself, keep every sharp instrument away from my spouse right now because I know they are. I don't care what they just said. How many of you have ever said, that just burns me up inside? It's true. When you hold your anger in, it literally can burn you up inside. It's called an ulcer. Literally, it can burn you up inside. It's no joke. Then number three, you got the martyr. These people are pros at you know, throwing a pity party. When they get angry, they love to punish themselves and punish everybody around them. In other words, when they're angry, they want everybody else around them to be miserable too. <laughs> and then you got the manipulator. This is number four, or the retaliator. This is the person that tends to uh, get back at people in an underhanded way, usually through sarcasm and, you know, and jibes and teasing, and, and they're always done in a hurtful way, and then they always say, oh, can't you take a joke? <laughs> By the way, religious people, this is basically their choice. It's much more spiritual to be, the, be this person than to be the exploder or the mute or the martyr. So religious people tend to be this one here. The manipulator will be very nice to you while they're in your presence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. And as soon as they leave, they'll jab you in the back, talk trash about you to your buddy, you know, to their friend. But it's always over prayer. Uh, we need to pray for Joe. <laughs> and now you're just gonna. You know, he, he does struggle so with things, and we need to pray for him. Very spiritual, very pious. <laughs> Look, we all get angry. We just express it in different ways. And as I said earlier, these are all learned responses, which means they can all be unlearned. You can change. You don't have to get angry in a sinful way anymore. God can help you change. Proverbs chapter 16 says, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Wow. The Living Bible says it is better to be slow-tempered than famous. It's better to have self-control than to control 
an army. Wow. I heard the story about Alexander the Great. True story. In a fit of rage, he struck his favorite general and he killed them. He killed them. They were basically best friends. And when it happened, he cried out, I've conquered the world, but I can't conquer my own soul. And I could relate to that. Not that it killed anybody. But there have been many times where I thought, wow, I got the greatest power source known to mankind living inside of me, the Holy Spirit. Man, I can't conquer sometimes my temper or my anger. So how do you get a, a grip on your temper? Well, l- l- let me give you a few thoughts, okay? And the first one is this. You tame your temper when you remember how it ends. Before you do anything, before you say anything, you just try to picture how this is gonna end. Proverbs chapter 29 says, an angry person starts fights. That's what happens when you get angry. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. Boy, that's true. You need to remember that every time you blow up, there are consequences, and there are always negative consequences. You need to remember that when you lose your temper, it always leads to a sinful place. It always leads there. Proverbs 15 says, a hot-tempered person starts fight. A cool-tempered person stops them. Hmm. Look, when your anger is out of control, it just causes you to do foolish things, doesn't it? Maybe I'm just thinking of me. (laughs) I, I, I could just give you illustration after illustration some of the foolish things that I've done when I'm just out of control. My anger's out of control. Foolish. Embarrassing things. Hmm. Will Rogers said, quote, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's so true. Look, when you lose your temper, you gotta write this down. When you lose your temper, you lose. You lose. And you need to remember that. Before you blow, before you get all angry and out of control, just remember, you lose your temper, you're the one who's going to lose. You are. And by the way, when you lose your temper, you always lose more than your temper. You lose respect, you lose your health, you lose your job sometimes. You can lose your wife, you can lose your husband, you can lose your kids. 
You can. I know people who have. Dr. Dobson wrote a book entitled, When You Feel Like Screaming. <laughs> he surveyed a bunch of nine through 12-year-olds and asked them these two questions. Number one, what do you like most about your mother? And number two, what do you <laughs> dislike most about your mother? Now, the answer to the first question, what do you like most about your mom? The answer's varied. She's sweet, she makes good spaghetti, you know, she's a cookie, she gives me kisses, she reads me books, you know, whatever. But the answer to the second question was almost unanimous. Almost every child used the phrase, her screaming, I can't stand it when she screams. And moms, I know why you scream. I'm gonna tell you why you scream. It works! You get a short-term win out of it. Short-term. Long-term, you lose. Long-term. Short-term, hey, you're, you're, oh man, your kids, ooh, you, you, and by the way, it could be you talking to your spouse, you know what? You can yell and scream, you know what? You may get a short-term gain, but there's a long-term consequence. Hey, as a boss, you get a short-term gain by screaming and yelling at your employees or whatever. But there's a long-term loss that goes on. Proverbs chapter 14 says, a quick-tempered man does foolish things and a crafty man is hated. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 14 goes on to say this, people with understanding control their anger. I'm giving you some understanding that it's gonna end badly. You're going to lose and you have to remember that. Do you wanna get a control of your, your temper, just remember, okay, how, how, how's this gonna end, you know what? I got some understanding that's gonna end bad. Number two, real quick. You tame your temper when you think before you act, and this kinda goes hand in hand with number one. You gotta remember how it's gonna end, but now, now you gotta think. Gotta, you gotta engage your brain. Proverbs 29 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Huh. The message says, a fool lets it all hang out. A sage quietly mulls it over. One version says, a stupid man gives free rein to his anger. A wise man waits and lets it grow cold. Wow. These are Proverbs. God's given us some wisdom here. Before you impulsively respond, you gotta calm down and stop and think to yourself, if I blow up, how is this gonna end? This is the thinking part, and I know it kinda sounds like number one, but I've, I've separated them out. You gotta think before you take action. Someone once said, when you're angry, you gotta count to, to 10. We've all heard that before. Sometimes if like you're super angry, maybe you need to count to 100. 
That'd be a good thing to do before you say anything. Now, I know some of you are saying, Pastor Rick, I can't do that. When something happens and I don't like it, I can't stop and count to 10 or 100. I simply blow. And I want you to know, yes, you can. You can change. It's a choice. I can prove it. How many of you have been having a good one with your spouse? (laughs) And the phone rings. Hello? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Or someone, you know, knocks on the door. Oh, yeah, hey, how are you? You can control your anger if you want to. Listen, one of the things about being in ministry, and Rick will tell you this, uh, Pastor uh, Rich can tell you, I've made, I don't even know, thousands and thousands of phone calls, home visits. I, I couldn't even count how many. And it's always funny when you call somebody and you, you know what's going on. You call, hello? Yeah, this is Pastor Rick. Hi. Oh, hey, praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> how, you, how you doing, Pastor Rick? Oh, yeah, we're, yeah, my wife and I, we're just taking communion together. Uh, oh, really? Well, that's fantastic to hear. I'll let you get right back to it. Yeah. Oh. Chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 19 says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. One version says, when someone wrongs you, it is a great virtue to ignore it. And I want you to know, I thought these two were super interesting. You know, we're all gonna be hurt by somebody, right? Could be our spouse, could be our kids, it could be our parents, I don't know who it's gonna be. And yeah, you know what, I guess you could get mad and upset and, you know, confront every situation. You can do that. But maybe it's okay just to go, you know what, I'm having a bad day. The Adamic nature is getting the better of him right now. I'm just going to go into a room and pray for him. I've had bad days too, you know. Wow. I was thinking back to a number of times when I wish I would have done that. And I told a story last night. My son's not here. He'll be here next hour. He was in about seventh grade. He's in college now, so it was a long time ago. And I remember this. I don't feel guilty about it because I confessed my sin and I understand the theological ramifications of forgiveness. I don't feel guilty about it. But God gave us brains where we can remember things. Not to keep making us feel guilty, but so that we would learn and grow and mature. I was in the backyard, we were swimming or whatever we were doing, we're laying out there and I got my book and my son had the hose. And I don't know what he was doing. I think he was trying to like clean the dog or wash a dog or something. And he's out in front and he's got the hose and he's squirting the dog and he forgets that I'm laying there and right across me. Wow. I, I, I blew up. I just blew. And man, I said some things that were just really crummy, sinful, evil, wicked 
wicked. And my wife was there. The Holy Spirit used her to say to me, boy, that was really, really wrong. So I went over and grabbed my son. and I said, hey, I want you to know, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. What you just saw from your old man is not a way that you would treat anybody. Nobody. You don't treat anybody the way I just treated you. That was wrong. And, you know, he said, oh, it's okay, Dad, you know, whatever. Now, think about this. We're out there in the pool. I got wet from a hose. We're swimming in a pool. How, how dumb. You talk about being dumb. Man, when you get angry, you're just, you're just dumb. Now, I want you to know something. Maybe the greatest thing some of you will get out of this is what I just said. It took me, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds to say, son, come here. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You just got an illustration of how to never treat somebody. I want you to understand the theological framework. My Adamic nature, the old nature, got, a, got the better of me. I don't understand you're only in seventh grade and you don't understand that. I get it. Someday you will understand that. It's not an excuse, but it helps you understand what happened. Maybe you need to do that to your son, to your daughter, to your wife, to your husband, to your parents. It takes like 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Man, would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Hey, pray for your dad. Pray for, pray for your mom. I heard from the Lord today at church. Man, God spoke to me, and I, I need to tell you how sorry I am. Man, watch a miracle happen in your family. Well, Pastor Rick, it happened 10 or 15 years ago. I don't care how long ago it happened. Call up your son who now lives somewhere else and say, you know what, I heard from the Lord today in church, and I need to just tell you how sorry I am. Would you forgive me? Could you find it in your heart to forgive your, your dad? Man, I said some things in some ways that were just wrong. And they may forgive you, they may not. All you can do is what God's called you to do. That's all you can do. But I'll tell you what, there's a, an incredible peace that will come. Who knows, healing may come. I don't know, I don't know what'll happen. Maybe nothing will happen, I don't know. I just know it's the right thing to, 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 to do. So if you wanna tame your temper, it's the first thing you gotta do is remember how it's all gonna end. Okay, number two, you gotta think before you act, and last but not least, number three, you tame your temper when you think before you talk. Okay, and once again, these, these all go hand in hand. They're like the Olympic rings. They're all concentric circles kind of a thing. Proverbs 21 says, those who are careful about what they say keep themselves out of trouble. Yeah. We all ought to memorize that one. Boy, talk about some incredible wisdom right there about life. Now, by the way, I want you to know, these are Proverbs. They're not promises. The Proverbs aren't promises. You can be careful about what you say, and you still may get in trouble. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that they're to go, you know, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. 
I know a lot of really godly parents that raised their kids in a godly way and their kids went sideways. But statistically speaking, you raise up your child the way that they're to go. And the chances are really good that, you know, they may get off the path every now and then, but they'll end up following the Lord kind of thing. But I can guarantee you, probably 95% of the time, if you're just careful about what you say, whether it be to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents or to your boss or to your employees or whatever, it's gonna keep you out of trouble. The thought here is just don't blurt out whatever comes to your mind. Watch your words carefully. Look, I, I think the biblical principle is this, I think. I think, sit me. Is you reap what you sow. If you sow kind words, you're going to reap that. If you sow angry words and bitter words, you're probably going to reap that. That's probably what's going to come back. Blowing your stack only creates, you know, air pollution, as one, someone once said. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Harsh words are like, like gasoline you pour into a fire. It's what they are. You reap what you sow. Look, anger is, is contagious. It's infectious. When you get angry, the odds are pretty good you're gonna end up giving it to somebody else. And if somebody else around you is angry, you know what? You're probably going to get it too. It's just kind of the way it works. We all know that children learn from the models they observe. As parents, every time you lose your temper, you're teaching your kids how to get angry. Every time you lose your cool, you're modeling how to deal with anger with your kids. And I'll bet you, moms and dads, you would say, you know what, you're right, Pastor Rick, you do reap what you sow. Now my kids are angry, and they blow up at me, and they're yelling back at me, and it's just the cycle that goes on and on and on, and yet here we have God saying, those who are careful about what they say, they, they, they keep themselves out of trouble, future trouble, maybe. So let me uh, recap, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song here, right? The Bible says that we need to remember the results, right? We need to remember. How's, how's it going to end? Number two, we need to think before we act. And then number three, we need to think before we talk, right? So Pastor Rick, how, how do you get rid of your anger? What, what do you do with all the anger? What happens, you know, when I get all this angst in, inside? Push it down and suppress it? No, because that's not healthy. Literally, when you swallow your anger... Your body takes it out on you. On the other hand, you don't want to express it in a crummy way either. So what do you do? Well, here it is. It's one of the things I love about the word of God. It keeps it really simple. 
is you just give it to the Lord. When you're all filled with stuff, I guarantee you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things, they're not here. None of that fruit's in your life because it's, there's no room for it. Because you're just angry. So you gotta somehow get it out of you. You gotta empty yourself because it's only when you're empty that God can now fill you with his spirit. And how do, you, how do you do that? Well, I think Philippians chapter four is pretty good. God's word says, don't worry about anything. You could take the word worry and you could put anger in there. Man, don't worry about anything. Instead, here's, here's what I want you to do, God says. When you're all, that's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to get alone with me and I want you to talk to me about it. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you need. Why don't you spend some time doing that? I want to hear it. Even though he already knows it, he wants, to, he wants to hear it. And then he says, but then the second thing is, I want you now to stop and take some time and be thankful. I want you to focus your brain on some of the great and good things I've already done for you. Because you're all upset over this, 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 and this. You've told me about it. Now, now, I want you to just spend some time and I want you to go, okay. Man, I sure am thankful that when I take my last breath, I'm gonna be in glory with you. Thankful for that, Jesus. I'm thankful that I have a church family that I can fellowship with, and if something goes haywire in my life, man, I got people who will come around me and love me. Man, I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you preserved this book for me to read. Man, Jesus, I'm thankful, man, for my spouse, my kids, my job, my career, my roof over my head, the food I had to eat 20 minutes ago, whatever. God says, you talk to me, I wanna hear it, give it all to me. And then, and then, Use this incredible thing, brain. Christianity is a thinking person's religion. God gave us a brain. He wants us to think. Okay, now think. Remember, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then God says, when, when, you, when you've done that, then you will experience God's peace. Then God can fill you with his peace, his love. It's joy, peace, whatever, whatever, whatever it all is. But he can't do that if you're all filled up with sinful stuff. Can't do it. And so maybe the best thing you might do when you're getting all goofed up over something is just go, hey, look, I, I think I might say some things or do some things that I would regret. And so would you guys give me a few minutes? Your dad needs to go and just pray for a minute. Or your mom needs to just go pray. And just go find a bedroom. I don't know, go into the bathroom, I don't care. And just sit down and say, God, I'm so angry, I'm so mad, I'm so upset. I don't know how many times I gotta tell that kid to do X, Y, and Z. I don't know, da-da, da-da-da-da, and da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and give it all to him, then go, okay. All right. 
Lord, you know, I'm not living under a bridge. Thank you. Man, our cupboard, cupboards out there got a lot of food in them. Wow. Thank you. Man, God, thanks for the salvation. Thanks for the cross. Whatever. And you spend some time. Then walk back out and say, okay. I mean, your son or your daughter may need to hear some stuff. You, you may need to be angry about something. I don't know. It's how you do it. Just make sure that you've allowed the Lord to fill you, but he can only do that if you empty yourself. Father, thank you, God, for our time today. And um, thank you for the word of God, because without it, we've got nothing to talk about, sing about. And I pray this in your name. Amen.